0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. What That's the second time it's
2: gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those,
3: those
0: the second captain's world service that's it. yeah they have asked for that really Well,
4: yeah, you can laugh have to walk up.
0: I'm a little bit of an
1: idealist but having said that I want to be like me
3: you don't know what you're talking about. Well, you i liked liked it stay alive right, two, good good there. I'd say it to you, face. I'll down to and we What you now. What you're
1: doing down here, you man. Trent Alexander Arnold was briefly knocked out of his stride yesterday in his post match interview with Jeff Shreves when it was put to him that one of the Arsenal goals came down his side before he went on to have a big hand in Liverpool's equaliser. Now, Alexander Arnold, he struggled to respond for a few moments before. Pointing out politely that the goals have to come from one of the sides or down the middle. That's the way football works, Jeff. It was a type of response that made me think maybe Trent is aware of the constant analysis of his defensive failings and doesn't really enjoy having every single goal Liverpool concede pinned on his shoulders. But there is a solution to all this, which I'm prepared to proffer on today's Second Campus Football podcast. Hi, Ken. Owen, how are you? It's actually Daniel Harris's solution in The Guardian. He writes, Just as we saw his fallibility against Arsenal, we also saw his brilliance stepping into midfield, dictating attacks and creating his team's equaliser. Wait for it, Ken. It may be time he moved into the centre permanently. (laughs) Partly because Liverpool have a vacancy there, but mainly because the position is ideal for hiding his weaknesses, a lack of nouse recovery pace and one-on-one ability and accentuating the passing, vision and crossing that are his strengths. It's just, it's a brilliant idea, Ken. I mean... Why hasn't somebody else thought of this? That's what I say. Yeah, Alexander I mean, pe- people
4: <laughs> sometimes come to uh, similar conclusions from different paths. You know, there's more than there's more than uh, one way, one road to Rome. You know, in fact, in fact all the roads apparently lead there. So, um, so it is possible, I suppose, to reach the conclusion that Trent Alexander Arnold should play at central midfield because you think he's such a bad player that he can't play right back. Um, the position is ideal for hiding his weaknesses. A lack of nouse. Nouse is one of those words we use in football, which means um, uh, players who are near a goal that gets let in, that gets let in, don't have any uh, recovery pace. Apparently, he's slow uh, and one-on-one ability, whatever that means. I mean, um, I suppose he nutmegs Inchenko yesterday, but uh, I suppose he has occasionally been dribbled past as well by by players uh so i mean uh, the idea, when, when you're a player with so many weaknesses i mean where better to play than the center of the match uh <laughs> i mean this this logic might Ken, make- it doesn't
1: matter how people get to this. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how people get to this conclusion. You're leading a movement here, Ken. If you're if you're if you're having followers, if you're having disciples no, I'm, come I'm, on board I'm a with purist. you, you, you need to accept. I'm right? an
4: ideological purist. I I don't I don't accept um, people who are here for the wrong reasons. I think Daniel Harris is here for the wrong reasons. I I think his argument makes sense if you don't think about it at all. You know, it it, it might make sense <laughs> if you just completely turned your brain in a different direction. But I just don't see the logic of. Uh, of the of the argument that this guy is so bad he has to be moved into central midfield to to disguise uh all well no it's he's so bad at right back he has
1: to be well that's partly your your rationale as well
4: no my my rationale is actually Is is actually more positive which is that he is too good to play right back uh and i think that a lot of the problems that he has um, have to do with the, I mean, he's not necessarily too good to play a right back, it depends on the team but I think particularly when you look at the Liverpool team at the moment, it's clear that they, you know, really miss uh, central infielders, and again, I'm sorry, I am sorry for, it sounds like a, I've started this, this Bank Holday podcast just by mounting my hobby horse and parading around again as usual. No,
1: I have mounted you on your yeah, hobby yeah, exactly. horse. Count. It was it was intended to be a brief I'm, visit upon your hobby horse when yeah, I well, to move I'm, on. But now I'm quite taken by the fact that you're actually you're so particular about the rationale that different people have for agreeing with your basic position, uh, which yeah. is that he has deficiencies defensively at right back and
4: I think I think the problem that he has is um, is is related to the fact that the that what they're asking him to do in the team is actually too much. You know, the the problem is, like, say, for instance, yesterday, he was playing... Uh, the, Liverpool seemed to be doing some kind of cargo cult version of what Man City have been doing recently with the three, um, the kind of uh, so-called rest defence, you know, the three uh, three across the back and then two in front. And so City have been using John Stones as a midfielder, effectively, in this sense, although he's a defender when they're defending. Um, and Alexander-Arnold, I guess, was being asked to do this. so you might look at that and say well look he's playing in midfield already like well, you know, what are you talking about he already gets to play in midfield but the problem with that is he's still supposed to be the right back and so still he's supposed to defend everything that comes down one of the sides as, as jeff Shreves uh, would point out and i think that's a that's a lot like you're not asking um you know kevin de bruyne a, um Who plays as a? You know, he's a creative playmaker. To also. Oh, by the way, well, yeah, you you ask, al- by ask, the way, you, you also Man City's fullbacks to
1: step into midfield actually quite a lot, and then ask them to step back. Although not Kyle Walker, who Pep said this weekend is incapable God. of doing that.
4: Well, I mean, thought was just amazing from Pep, wasn't it? He just, he just can't, he can't do it. <laughs> Kyle Walker, he just, nah, I mean, just I mean, can't, just can't I do it. Can't, I can't, no, how really I, ask? I mean,
1: he's fast. Sure, he'll be fast when he's sixty. He'll be the fastest person in the room when he's sixty. I thought
4: but. that made it worse, actually. You know. Uh, yeah. uh, when when he was like praising, oh, his Walker's so physical. He's so strong. He's so fast. And you're, and, and, but he, but no, he's just. Despite all that, he's still not Tactically, good enough. He's such a. Yeah. He's, like, so feeble on the ball. That I can't possibly risk him. Even though at sixty years old, he'd be faster than everybody here. Uh, and, I, and I don't just mean actually everybody here. Well, maybe maybe Pat just did mean looking down at you, the media. I'm pretty sure the sixty year old Kyle Walker would still be faster than any of you guys. Actually, that's probably true. <laughs> I got. I, I wondered if if he meant you know at sixty he'll still be you know in the top three fastest players in my squad. Anyway, um, I think it's I think it's asking too much. I think if you I think you're you know you if, if you have a player who's a who's a creative midfielder you don't also ask him to be defender and have to stand there explaining to Jeff Shreve's that goals have to come down one side. I mean Trent Alexander Arnold could have explained. Yeah, there was actually a goal down each side in the game. If you look at it, there was one down my side, one down Robertson's side, one down Ben White's side, and one down. Zinchenko's side, you might remember that one because I was involved in that Um, you you, you know, like Ben White, um, for for example didn't set up a goal was beaten in the air by Firmino to the equaliser and the first goal came down his side now, why isn't he hauled out and, and sort of made to answer for this? Uh, you know, do you realize, Ben? Because it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened repeatedly to Ben White in the way it has happened. Well, maybe Ben, maybe ben White's been clever here by not um, getting involved in, you know, by, by not sort of setting up 18 goals in a Premier League season or whatever uh, Alexander Arnold's number was. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he's, he's done well to sort of, uh, fly beneath the radar in that sense, you know, but, but the point is about the, the, um, I think there's a kind of an obsession, um, with criticizing, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold particularly, which isn't really justified by, you know, how bad he is. Having said that, uh, you know, I do, I do, I do basically agree with, with what Daniel Harris is saying, but obviously he's saying this for all the wrong reasons.
1: Ah, uh, seven, almost eight minutes on Trent. Uh, that was not my intention but (laughs) listen it's a bank holiday well it is in Ireland anyway so we're we're, we're on the internet we can do what we want Richard Jolly and RS Blog's Andrew Mangan on the pod today to talk about an extraordinary game of football at Anfield yesterday. The US Masters will be covered on the World Service tomorrow when Murph will also be back to talk about a crazy opening weekend in the Connacht Championship. We've got a chat lined up for Wednesday show about the Republic of Ireland women's team who play the second of their matches against the USA on Tuesday night slash the early hours of Wednesday morning. It's Champions League quarterfinal week featuring Man City versus Bayern and Real Madrid versus Frank Lampard's Chelsea as we can now call them once again. So a hell of a week in the World Service. Have a think about becoming a member if you aren't one already. It's five euro a month plus fat.
4: Yeah, I was I was watching the um, uh, Ireland's USA game on Saturday evening and the uh, bad news out of that one was the American player who you might have seen getting injured, Mal Swanson. Um, it was a yeah. pretty bad injury. You could even tell that it was one of those like she she had sort of fallen in such ways. You could see the knee, and the knee just didn't look like a knee um, normally looks. Uh, and it turns out that she has um, done her patellar tendon, which I guess, given that the World Cup is in July, means that she won't be playing in the World Cup. So that was a, that's a bad one for uh, the Americans um, from Ireland's point of view. What the thing, the thing that struck me was uh, how, um, how uniform the style is now across men's and women's national teams. I was looking at it, uh, particularly in the first half um, when Ireland were more in the game, I think, thinking this is exactly the same formation as we played against France. This is it. Like, uh, I, I recognised the five uh, defenders and then the, the little narrow Pentagon in the middle. Um, we're doing exactly the same thing. Uh, and actually, I thought, I mean, the score obviously was two nil, but I thought they played very well. I mean, you know, in the sense that this is
1: oh, it was working in the first half. There was a goal. There was a goal disallowed. There were a couple a couple of made scrambles. Thought it was a fairly even game in the first half. It Was quite encouraging.
4: Yeah, you know the the, the yeah the goal was disallowed was was a pretty marginal offside. I mean, it was kind of a, I'm not even sure if the offside player necessarily touched the ball. Maybe there was a tiny header on it. And okay, it was offside, but. Um, you know, you could see how Ireland can stay competitive in games against, I mean, the, the American national team, although, you know, they seem to think that their team at the moment isn't quite as good as it was, say, when they won the World Cup last time. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously one of the top teams in the world. Um, and to stay competitive in the game for that long, I thought was was impressive, you know, I because mean, I kind of get the impression with Ireland... You know, people don't think they can get out of the group. And if they can play like no, that... it's against, a really
1: hard group that we've...
4: Yeah. If, but if you can play like that against a team like uh, the United States, then, you know, it's possible. I mean, you can... It, it's It definitely... I mean, it wasn't the kind of... I mean, there's another game to come on Tuesday, and we'll see how that one goes. But um, it's not... It, it It's not the case of, oh, this is a heavy defeat. Oh, wow, we're, we're miles off that level. It was this game was close enough that a couple of details you know going uh, differently i mean obviously the 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 kind of closing stages of the game there was a lot more pressure from the americans but overall i thought it was um, it was pretty strong
1: yeah we have Brought in quite a few new players since qualifying as well. This is always the delicate balancing act. What, what What is a player going to add to the squad and is it going to disrupt what's already there?
4: Hey, we all want Ireland to succeed, right? Eh?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And maybe we have a better chance of that with Sinead Farley in there who made her debut at the weekend and was absolutely raved about by Vera Pau afterwards, who, who Vera Pau feels that Farrelly's presence in the team allowed us to essentially change our entire tactical approach which is a pretty <laughs> pretty significant impact so we'll talk about all that on the show on Wednesday uh, I've got an email in here Ken from Philip Green Thought it was strange all week how Concrete. much more focus and attention was being paid specifically to Arsenal going to Anfield. Jonathan Lu wrote a great piece about how the atmosphere could engulf some players. Arteta was speaking about that weird, you'll never walk alone speaker stunt that he tried during All or Nothing. There was talk of an Arsenal-Anfield hoodoo. Even to Arsenal fans on my timeline calling this Arsenal's biggest game in a decade. It felt a little overblown. The team in first place going to be a team in eighth. Has nobody watched Liverpool play recently? The first half an hour looked like proving me right. Arsenal bullied and toyed with Liverpool and hadn't gotten out of third gear to be leading 2-0. The game was on a plate for Arsenal. The young, vibrant team putting yesterday's men to the sword. But then something weird happened. Arsenal willed the Anfield hoodoo into existence. By getting involved in a couple of instances of needless messing, they gave Liverpool and the crowd a spark that seemed missing up until that point. It reminded me a bit of Arteta's clash with Klopp a few years ago when a placid nil-nil was turned into a four-nil hammering Mm. after Arteta handed the crowd a match to light the spark. Arsenal started treating Liverpool yesterday more and more like the side they've been for the last five years. And in turn, Liverpool started to act like it. With Ramsdale's brilliant performance and the missed penalty, Arsenal might be able to push the idea they dug in for a hard-fought point. But the reality is they spent the week leading into the game telling themselves a ghost story and ended up getting spooked by it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, just a thought. Go easy, Phil.
4: Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I really do. Um, you know, it's it's funny how these things happen, and I think it's it's a good point to to mention um, the previous when I remember the the Arteta and Klopp uh, fight on the sideline. That that again was one of those kind of this game hasn't really taken off, and then before you know it, it was four um, nil as the crowd really got into it. I think that's kind of a, a bit of a problem for Liverpool, to be honest. That that uh, it seems to take something extraneous to you know be the little piece of grit in the oyster that like gets them going because you really have to (laughs) you have to find a way to to do that (laughs) themselves you know without being disrespected in some way (laughs) like it's just it's nonsense but it it's it's sort of interesting just in terms of how football really is like how it just tiny little things that happen set in train a kind of a, a process that develops momentum and turns into an avalanche this is the thing that, that klopp has been trying to talk about for the last few weeks you know that and he, he's never sounded less convincing or convinced i think that in the last few <laughs> weeks which th- there's been terrible results from the and even this is like you know they, they haven't won in four matches um or was it five five matches uh no, sorry, four. They haven't won in four, and it's, it's mm-hmm. two draws. That you know, they they dropped ten points in the last four Premier League matches. So it's been a really awful run in four. I mean, consider how different their their situation would be if they if they'd got it together uh, for these matches in the way they managed to do for you know an hour or forty five minutes against Arsenal. But he, you know, when he's talking about why the team is playing badly, he always ends up talking about you have to win a challenge. You know, it's like it's like. Um, Keane says the same stuff you know what i mean this is something they they basically agree on that like mm-hmm. winning a challenge like kicking a ball out for a throw that looked like it was going to turn into a chance for the other team can change the course of a match you know this is like this is actually what it is it's like you do that and then you suddenly feel well, what was the phrase Cop used? you don't worry about confidence you never think about confidence when you have it you know what i mean it's like it's just i have it and and now let's go it's only when you don't have it that you're like oh how can I get confidence and this is literally it so Shaka did I mean obviously Shaka didn't intend to uh to do this but obviously what he did actually did have a big impact I mean I what Ian Wright last night sort of trying to defend him and I, I don't think he should be like hung out oh how could you do this it was stupid you know Shaka has played a brilliant season um his best for Arsenal probably he showed that he I mean definitely his best for Arsenal I mean last season was also pretty good he showed I mean, I I remember when he was when he was coming off that time and the whole Emirates was booing him and he was throwing his shirt down and that you, you assume okay well he's gone that's it for him. Um, he's actually showed that he's a really important player to the team has turned all that around which deserves a lot of respect. In this instant, he was at the center of the, of the the moment that seemed to turn the the match around a little bit. Um, obviously the the narrative did that it, followed though? helps. I mean we're we'll talking we'll talk to Andrew Magan about I think, this. I think it really did. I think it, Liverpool's attitude completely changed. Um which is a problem for Liverpool really, because you know you can't be relying on like, you know, people sort of <laughs> disrespecting you to, to start playing well. Um but yeah, I did I did think in the in the game in the game that I watched though, and it it felt like a like a big moment even at the time. Do You're you
1: like, believe in coincidence, though, Ken? Do you believe that the potentially <laughs> Liverpool were going to wake up from this at some point and Arsenal also were going to start feeling the heat at Why some point. Why were they going to wake up and, at some okay, point? I mean, I'd see, I'd it ca- it be, came shortly after.
4: You know, they, they've, they've been yeah. so bad. I mean, that's the, the point that Philip Green, King of the High Street makes in his email. He he says, uh, the, have they not seen how they've been playing? They've, they've been so terrible. I mean, they were so awful against Man City.
1: Not at home though. Not at home.
3: Well,
1: yeah, this is, it comes back to the Anfield thing. They yeah, beat, beat no, Man it's City true. I mean, they they have they, they have rattled a, they rattled Real Madrid at home for a short period. <laughs> yeah,
4: I mean they were they were pretty awful in that too. So I mean, what I'm saying, they've just had lots and lots of defeats. Obviously, really fragile confidence. They're two 0 down against the, the title, the, the the league leading side you don't ex- i wasn't expecting them to come back at that point and then the the game kind of changed and i think but i think that arsenal's attitude fed into that in a number of ways i thought they tried to slow the game down too much i think that you can't afford to do that i mean it's one thing to do that see the in the game the pressure was on arsenal right i mean they were the, they were the ones with i mean i, I can remember the, uh, slowing the game down obviously working really well in the famous uh, Chelsea-Liverpool or Liverpool-Chelsea-Gerrard game, you know. That was Chelsea's idea from the start, you know, Mourinho's idea. Let's take ages for the goal kicks. I I can remember Liverpool players losing their heads in the first few minutes of the game. Can you believe how long this guy is taking to take a goal kick? you know grabbing Gerard grabbing the ball from Mourinho who's trying to keep it off him and the side you know this kind of stuff because they were the ones who were hurrying and, and uh and needed a goal and who all the pressure was on because Chelsea had kind of blown it at that stage Arsenal were the ones who were mm. under the pressure here i just feel that like inviting an hour of uh saying okay we're it's 2-0 let's see what you let's see if you can score two goals now it's too much when you're actually the team that's under pressure, like the fear that must have been building on Arsenal, which I think was evident in in Arteta's substitutions as he took off Odegaard and put on Kiviora, the extra defender, changed the shape of the team. It was kind of he needed to be braver there. Um, I think I think the pressure may be him to go more negative that the. It wasn't his, it wasn't Arteta's finest error, I don't think, this Arsenal game. But we can. Well, talk it was about interesting
1: because afterwards he was he he was being asked about the resilience that Arsenal showed towards the end when they dug in for. Uh, it's a weird one because I don't know, I don't know if it was exactly the word that was used, but it was along those lines. And I don't know how resilient a team can be lauded as being when they've given away. Uh, two goal lead in a game in which they were comfortable, but you get the point. That was the tone. It was. It could have been worse. They could easily have lost that game. Well, they should have and lost. You can only I mean, imagine you know, the Salah, the Salah the penalty.
4: I mean, maybe try getting your next penalty on target. Like, I mean, it's the Ramsdale save as well. I mean, the,
1: the Ramsdale save on Salah, especially with the def- that, that save, would have that been a great Pretty save. good save. It, even if there was no deflection. You know, it looked like it was quite well struck going towards the top corner. It required a good save and the deflection just made it absolutely w- one of the best of the season. Uh, he also made the one afterwards. On, well, the Canadi you know, one was, the Canadi. It was
4: incredible, but, but the Canadi it was one is like, it. how did he manage to bundle the ball? Sort of the only place Ramsdale could could get it. You know, it looks... Yeah, he gave him, he a, gave him a half
1: a chance. But the point about uh, that, the answer that Arteta gave was basically, I don't want to be... He wasn't really bigging up that and He's like, I don't want to be relying, relying on... Those sort of situations and having to show resilience, I want to rely on what we did in the first half and the way we played early on in the game. That's the way we're going to win the league, you know.
4: Yeah, um, I mean, it but you're could, saying it, that,
1: it, that he partly contributed to the situation that they found
4: themselves in. In this, I thought, half. I I thought it wasn't his his best game. I thought that the, the attitude, you know you could see, you could see there was Arsenal had, clearly had an idea of we'll slow the game down by going down. You know, there was there was a lot of. Um, uh, injury breaks and sort of, oh, you know, I'm injured by Arsenal players who were able to continue um, taking taking a long time over goal kicks and set pieces and this, this type of stuff, which was kind of actually, r- rather than achieving the desired effect of like, everyone's getting losing interest in the game and losing focus and and everything is becoming stagnant here and that's the way we want it because we're running down the clock it actually was it was annoying the crowd and sort of hyping them up i think in this in a similar manner that happened at the Newcastle game there earlier this season which which Liverpool did manage to win uh, late on but um, there were some other games on um not least yesterday mm-hmm. where <laughs> i wasn't watching it live But I saw that Leeds were winning 1-0, and I thought, well, it looks like Leeds are getting out of it. The next I saw, they were 5-1 down. And Roy Hodgson, I mean, this is looking like an absolute masterstroke. (laughs) Just bringing Roy (laughs) Hodgson in seems to be the best decision. Of all the teams that are changing uh, managers, some of them haven't succeeded yet in appointing a new one. You know, Leicester, apparently, uh, Jesse Marsh has decided... He's not going to join Leicester. They lost to Bournemouth uh, and are really in, in big trouble now. Um, but bringing Roy Hudson to the Palace just seems to have absolutely liberated this team. <laughs> Suddenly, they are just they look as good as they kind of had th- threatened to be. And the player who just stood out in that game yesterday just gave an absolutely outstanding performance was uh, Michael Alise. Um. Hmm this was a seriously brilliant performance by him just in a lot of different ways um the the thing that sort of caught my eye first was just the the quality of the ball for uh, use headed goal which made it 2-1 to palace it was absolutely brilliant i mean the whole thing was brilliant you know the ball is played to him on the on the right um It looks like maybe he's going to just knock it back to his teammate, but then he sees the teammates under too much pressure. I've got to kind of deal with this delays, then just takes a little sidestep and from an almost standing position, put over a ball with so much pace that I, I'm not going to say he couldn't miss, but it may, it, it put him in a position, even though he's quite far out to put a really powerful header on the goal I just thought it was a brilliant ball and then he proceeded to set up the next two goals with great play and, I just thought, and also the thing that I liked about it Owen was if you noticed his part in the celebrations I know that you commented before Michael O'Leary said withdrawn reactions uh, when he scored a goal the brilliant free kick against Manchester United earlier this United, season United yeah and then there
1: was also do you remember there was also the, the comment that he gave the interview he gave about another goal he scored earlier this season
4: just talk us through it uh, through what the got. Mm. Uh, I think Wolf passed
1: me the ball. Shot, scored. <laughs> so yeah, he doesn't get too worked up about about scoring goals.
4: No, but you you should have seen him on how happy he was to assist these girls. He was ah. uh he had no problem celebrating. Maybe he just gets a bit uncomfortable when he's the center of attention. He's like, "Yeah, whatever." You know, do you thank the postman for delivering the mail? But um I did notice he, the assist celebrations. What was he he was going wild, was he? Well, no, not not wild, but he was smiling. <laughs> He's, yes, more, was more smi- than he does when he scores. There was a smile on his face, which I thought, oh, you know, he, this guy, he does take, um, he does take some pleasure when th- in his in his work when things go well. It's always nice to see. So I thought he was uh, he was really good. Philip Billing was also really good uh, for Bournemouth. It's kind of interesting to compare those two guys. Um, if he could combine them into one player, he would be the best player in the league because Billing. Uh, scores like at a a ridiculous rate for a central midfielder but isn't that involved in the game and Alisa is just the opposite he doesn't score anywhere near what you think he would score given how good he is at various other elements of the game Um, but is involved in uh, is involved in everything so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe someone can can work on that, uh, combining uh, the two of them. Although they both, I thought, were are looking like really good players. I mean, this is something which which I, I guess will come into uh, play a bit more in the summer. I mean, there's always some good players in teams that get relegated. Uh, although at yeah. the moment, it looks as though both Crystal Palace and be Palace are probably well, going to be... It is absolutely
1: uh, hilarious. Get rid of Hodgson. Bring in Vieira. As literally, it was going on for... It was a sense, let's just... You know, well, they get rid of Hodgson. I mean Hodgson, Hodgson retires, let's give him that. But they think there was a feeling within Crystal Palace that we're ready to move on from Roy Hodgson and yeah. move and, and let a younger, you know, more exciting manager get a hold of this incredible attacking talent that we have at our disposal and see what they can do with it. And now it's like get rid of Vieira playing awful football. Bring back Roy Hodgson to hammer in the goals as he's done in the two games so far. Fair play to him.
4: Yeah, now it's uh, and and it seems like he's it's already mission accomplished. I mean, it's not mathematically accomplished, but it is. Um, I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, it's looking pretty good. Uh, they maybe have to win one more game or two more games. Yeah.
1: There are uh, a lot of really, really, really bad teams a long way behind them now. Be yes,
4: uh, yes. Now, um, what about the game you were covering on? On, uh, on oh Saturday. yeah, that was action packed. Well, this was crazy. From the start. There was did you
1: see the Deserbi studying anything before oh. the the, f- the opening, before the f- f- uh, first whistle? Yeah.
4: Well, this is Deserbi. I mean, he, the man is just such a star. I mean, is this his third red card or only his second? Um,. I can't, I can't, I could not quite. I believe he'd Already been sent off twice before, or this is the third sending off, or they were just a the second sending off. But you could sort of see this sending off coming right from the, right from the start of the game where he, he walked out onto the pitch and immediately became embroiled in a row with uh, Christian Stellini. The, the, the genesis of which I did not understand until you were explaining something at halftime about how he'd called him an aggressive player.
1: Well, there was a pre-match press conference, right? So these guys uh, both, they played against each other in Serie B quite often. And they've also coached, I was looking, I because look, I was looking for this at half time. I did notice in the build-up he was asked, Stellini was asked about him, right? And he was asked, oh, will he be a coach of a top six club? You know, which was a hilarious question because he, at the time of that question being asked, does was be coach of a top six club? Yeah. Yeah. But we all know what top six means. And it Stellini means understood them. the question as well. Yeah, yeah. He I mean, means, is, is, means he, is he going to replace you as manager? Cellini says, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I hope so, but I don't know. And then he went on to basically give uh, an appraisal of his managerial. Uh, achievements and what he's done with Brighton and it all seemed fairly polite and all that kind of stuff. He was asked about, it was mentioned that they had a playing rivalry and he said, yeah, he was very aggressive as a player and of course Brighton play aggressively both on and with and without the ball. You know, they play a very good game, blah, blah, blah. So maybe it was that word
4: aggressive. That
3: But pissed. aggressive is
4: uh, aggressive is literally what everybody in the Premier League is demanding from their team. That's uh, Roy Hodgson uh, uh, masterminded the 5-1 destruction of Leeds by uh, saying the word aggression repeatedly to his players at, at half-time. That's what he said. You're Cop has, has spent the last I don't know how many weeks uh, begging for aggression from his team Frank Lampard at Wolves uh, the the reason why we lost we we lacked aggression. I mean, aggression is 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 apparently the key to all football success. So being also, I don't of think you're aggression. exactly
1: disproving a point about, about, by being called. If you're pissed off about being called aggressive, I don't think the best way to disprove the point <laughs> is <laughs> to go up and jab your finger in the in the chest <laughs> of the opposing manager just before the start of a game.
4: But all, all of this is obviously building the legend of Zerbi, You know, the bad boy uh, coach who just can't uh, stop getting his hand off. Uh, and also winning games apart from with Spurs when they lost Uh, and they lost because they got absolutely own ridden by the referee (laughs) this okay so uh, the uh, PGMOL has uh, already apologised to Brighton for screwing them in this game this is the third time they've apologised to Brighton in the last few weeks the first was when Fabinho Injured Evan Ferguson with that tackle from behind, and the ref did nothing. The uh, second was when, if you call, they were playing Palace, uh, scored a goal, and the VAR then disallowed it by drawing the offside line in the wrong place, right? Now, this is a yeah. sequence of mistakes. Uh, and Okay, so, and then it leads up to this Tottenham game. Now, I should say, Tottenham won, which at least spared us another round of this um he hit me and it felt like a kiss stuff from the Spurs fan accounts reposting that um Antonio Conte's this is the story of Tottenham speech right so at mm. least we didn't have to at least we didn't have to do that again but yeah this the the, the that's so many decisions in the game went again went against Brighton like Roberto Zerbi isn't is a combustible character right I would, I would love to hear what he I would they should have been showing us live footage of deserve, of Deserve of particularly for that penalty that wasn't given. So the incident that PG have have apologized for is the um the blatant penalty when Hoyberg stood on the foot of uh, Mitoma and brought him down which is yeah. so it's so clear that it's just how can you not give that? I mean, this is the problem. This is the problem with VAR. Once you've got VAR there is no, there is no excuse for that. It's just like, okay, well, what are you, what are you going to do about it? The the, the the evidence was there. The evidence was ignored. What's going to happen now? Right. What What has to happen now, in my view, is accountability. You know, I mean, the the evidence is there. The evidence is ignored. So what? You know, what what's going on? And then Howard, Howard Webb he's, he's already got rid of uh, one uh, member of the of the staff uh, this season, Lee Mason. Well, now it seems to me that there has to be further accountability. I mean, how can you get so many things wrong? And remember, this was th- there was a lot of things that happened in this game. So Brighton had two goals disallowed for handball. In both cases, you could have argued that goal should have stood. In one of the cases, the ball hits a player's possibly elbow, but from another angle, it looks like it maybe doesn't even touch his elbow. This is Welbeck's shot that deflected in off a teammate. Maybe, maybe it only hits his hip. It, the, the arm is down by his side. Uh, it's clearly unintentional but i suppose they've they've disallowed that because well if it's if it's a handball and it's the last touch on a on a goal bound shot then yeah. technically we have to so okay so that's 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 their argument there they could probably defend that one the mitoma one there's a goal disallowed by against mitoma for for offside now here's another problem that they've created for themselves apparently this uh shirt sleeve thing you know uh, if it's the shirt sleeve then it's not offside it, or if the shirt then it's not handball and you can score with your shirt sleeve which is why they'll draw the um they'll draw the offside line from there you know what i mean because that you can be uh you if you can score with that then that's where the offside lines starts right it's the furthest forward part of your body that you can score with. so they they'll they'll do it there the ball clearly hits him there on the shoulder he controls it scores should be a goal and they disallow it for some reason. Then they don't. Then they don't give this penalty. And then there's another penalty, which is a shirt pull, which is clearly a foul. You know, it's 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 another one, and they don't give that. So that's a lot of decisions in the same direction with the outcome. The Brighton, a team with realistic yeah. hopes. Just on
1: the disallowed goal, the Matoma one, where he he handled the ball and where it exactly hit him and all that kind of stuff. It, it was given as like I think it was a debatable enough one because it was firstly the ref gave. The, it was disallowed on the field. The so line, the, the, the assistant referee, I so think so. the so VAR was... would have had to, yeah, the, the assistant referee actually disallowed it, which is amazing eyesight from there to know exactly where on um, the body it hit. But anyway, from that point on, I think you could argue that VAR, it was hard. Even we watched a load of replays on TV and it, it was hard to finally conclusively saying that it, it didn't happen. In fact, actually, the, pun- the two pundits we had on, Stephen Kelly and Paul Robinson, both felt it was handball anyway. So. But that was a debatable one. The, the penalty you're talking about, the 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 Hoiberg one was Mm. absolutely like, but that's the one that's been apologized for. So that's been not sorted, but at least acknowledged. What are they going
4: to do with all, what are Brighton going to do with all these apologies, you know? do and three apologies
1: set, make one point in the league table they should they have they that send, rule send if, if, if apologised to, to, to you three times in a season it becomes uh, an official point on the table
4: <laughs> well it's just it's just totally ridiculous and now I suppose you know Deserby I, I assume will be punished for his st- I mean they, they ended up getting sent off because Deserby was again at the centre of another big ruckus and he, he, was he taunting Stellini after Brighton scored uh, <laughs> you know Stellini then was refusing to acknowledge him but was sent yeah. off for failing to control his <laughs> to control his bench. I think it
1: was a bit harsh and Stellini from what I saw. Unless something else went on that we didn't see. It's yeah, a, I feel like he was doing. Yeah. It. But wait, did you mention the long lay shirt pull? Did you mention that? That, in, that in was all yeah, That
4: that was another. That was that was the the second. It should have been a penalty yeah. as well. It should. I yeah. mean, if it's, if it's a shirt pull, it's a foul. I mean, it's a simple rule. But now, not in this case. You no, know, not enough in it for me. So once again, uh, Brighton at the sharp end of all those uh, things. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they can, what they what they can do, but I just wonder if. If accountability is once again going to be a feature of of the response, I mean, um, it's all getting a little bit Squid Game over there at PGML, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, we're going to be just Howard Webb sitting there at the end, you know. But this is what happens, you know, when you VAR raises the stakes. He could previously have said, "Look, I, I didn't see it. it. It happened in a second. It was one of those, was one of those things. Sometimes the referee misses things. Sometimes he sees things that aren't there. Uh, you 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 end up with imperfect decisions." Um, the thing is, you also end up with a perfect decisions with VAR. It's just that nobody can really explain them. So, you know, it's, it's just... It's
1: and they always go against Brighton. That's well, the, that's, the that's, the other, that's the other
4: thing. The, the, Brighton, the do, Brighton do always get screwed Brighton. Uh, quite a lot. Uh, I mentioned Lampard. Um, obviously, his return didn't go as um, perhaps he might have envisaged. Uh, a great goal by Mateus Nunez. Uh, and then Chelsea couldn't score. I think they only had one shot on target in the end. He replaced the whole... Um, The whole three-man front line uh, was subbed off. Uh, He changed back to um, a back four, which I think is probably a good move um, uh, for Chelsea, although the question is whether, you know, Koulibaly is is necessarily going to be that good in a four. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're playing Real Madrid this week, so that's going to be big. Now, Real Madrid lost on the weekend. They lost uh, 3-2 to Villarreal. Mm. I mean, is there a chance of this happening? Is there a chance i mean there's a chance it's a football game but uh i don't know i kind of feel as though it's going to be is this just going to be what it's like for lampard you know just sort of sitting there explaining why you've lost matches i mean is what is it that's such a draw about this i see that in el Pais Diego torres reports he's earning five million euros net for the two months so maybe that's maybe that's got something to do with it but um
1: yeah, I think that might have something to do with it. There's, there's a certain prestige, particularly in Frank Lampard's world, to managing Chelsea, and you know, well, in anyone's world, I mean, if you knock if Real you were out of the manager
4: of Chelsea, I'd be pretty impressed. I'd be like, I would consider that. No, that would yeah, that
1: would certainly raise the opinion of my peers of my football acumen. That's for sure, or would it? I don't know. Todd Bowley and being appointed by Todd Bowley at the moment maybe isn't a great barometer, but also they can knock fucking Real Madrid out of the Champions League, which would be hilarious if Frank Lampard does that.
4: I mean, it can it it could i mean I, can't, I don't expect it to happen i will i will set my stall out very clearly i i'm not expecting that but as you know sometimes i've expected things about yes, real madrid matches yes. in the champions league which haven't uh which haven't turned out that way
0: everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com people call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive isn't that right mr hill objection
4: I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance against no, Manchester City. You didn't give them a rat's if chance. If they, if they get through against Chelsea, I, I Owen, I do not give them a rat's chance. Okay, dude. yeah, a rat,
1: rat's chance. Yeah. no, no rat's chance.
3: Camavinga searching for Benzema, puts it in the goal and
4: back. It's right. I in. just don't see it. <laughs> Still, come on. <laughs> I will not give Real Madrid a rat's against chance. City. Not a rat's chance. just gonna catch up with you eventually. I don't believe in magic. I believe in reality. I believe in material reality.
3: Here comes Benzema. Side foots the ball. They don't know nothing about being a rat. Mister Hill, you know
0: everything about being a rat.
4: I thought they would lose to PSG. They beat PSG. I thought they would lose to Chelsea. They beat Chelsea. I thought they would lose to Manchester City. And really, they should have lost to Manchester City. And what
1: about Liverpool then? Are you giving them a chance against Liverpool? No. All right, what a weekend that was. Richard Jolly was at Anfield and also Old Trafford for the Independent. Richard, how are you? Good, thanks. You? Uh, well, I'm all right. I'm 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 particularly interested to hear how Andrew Mangan, Arsblog's Blog's Andrew Mangan is today. Andrew, I, I'd imagine just <laughs> working through your emotions 24 hours on.
3: Uh, a little bit, yeah. It was pretty intense. Uh, a fairly extraordinary game, I think. One that Arsenal probably should have won, but, but when you come down to it right at the end, could easily have lost. So... To come away with a point is is probably all right in the grand scheme of things,
1: okay, because I did want to ask you J- Jeff Shreve seemed very intent on getting a definitive answer to the question of whether this was two points dropped or a point gained. It sounds like you're you're just about in the
3: one point gained camp there yeah I, I think you have to like acknowledge that when your goalkeeper makes three world class saves in the last five minutes. And Liverpool miss a penalty during the the second half. A point away at Anfield, a ground that Arsenal haven't really got a great track record at. You know, you have to take that. Even though the fact that we were 2-0 up doing really well, um, it's the sort of position where you would like to go on and and win the game. And even the the lateness of the equaliser is like a a punch in the stomach as well. So it's trying... Trying to find the balance between all of those things. In the end, I think if you'd said to people at the start of this season, Arsenal will take four points off Liverpool home and away, they would have taken that, you know, no questions asked. That's what we've done. Um, You know, it could have been better, but it easily could have been worse. So it's, yeah, it's mixed emotions, as Ramsdale said on
4: Sky. You said a word there in your answer... Andrew, which I, which I sense is being used a lot by Arsenal people as kind of a, a, a magical incantation that sort of negates the mistakes that they made. And the word was Anfield. Um, <laughs> do you think that Arsenal, and particularly their manager, um, kind of fetishize Anfield uh, a little bit, that, that too much is made of the, the power of this mighty stadium? I
3: don't know if it's just... Darcel, I think that came across yesterday in the in the the sky coverage, you know, the Anfield crowd. Oh, you don't want to wake them up, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that just plays out in, in the media in general. Um, you look at the the way that Arteta tried to prepare the team last season going to Anfield in the all or nothing. It's, documentary. The, best, it's the best
4: advertising for Anfield that, that there's ever been. I've never seen such such respect.
3: Yeah, he took out the speakers and plays You'll Never Walk Alone and all that kind of stuff. I think it's more about the record that Arsenal have there than the stadium itself. I think it becomes a bit of a psychological obstacle. Arsenal have one of the
4: greatest moments in their history at that stadium.
3: Well, that's it. And maybe we're paying the price for it uh, ever since. (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, it's 2012 since we won there. And, you know, that was a team uh, where... Lucas Podolski and Santi Cazorla scored their first ever Arsenal goals, and that will tell you just how long ago it is. It was so my
4: wedding day, Andrew. I remember it well. I, <laughs> well, I, I there you how go. It was
3: what a wonderful day for both of us that was, Ken. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean that that does tell you how long ago it was, and I think that's maybe the the key factor rather than the crowd because you get you get passionate crowds everywhere. The first day of the season, Arsenal went to Crystal Palace, and everyone talked about you know, Friday night, Crystal Palace away from home, how uh, vociferous and boisterous that crowd is, and Arsenal dealt with it pretty well. So I do think it's more about what we have done and haven't done at Anfield rather than than Anfield itself.
4: Rich, you were there in the the belly of the beast. The thing that surprises me is that this is a very strange beast where you can run around in its belly, um, hockeying the home team uh, 2-0, completely outclassing them, but one off the ball barge, and all bets are off. I mean, <laughs> how, how do you explain that? Why why are two goals apparently not enough to wake up Anfield? But just one slightly disrespectful action from Granite Shaka changes the whole story. What what did it it feel like? What what did the energy feel like to you sitting there?
2: Well, such is the mysterious power of Granite Shaka because things do happen to Granit Xhaka much as Granit Xhaka makes things happen and and you do wonder if had that incident with Trent Alexander-Arnold been any other player whether it would have actually sparked a Liverpool comeback or whether Xhaka's just really unlucky in that respect because certainly Mikel Arteta was keen to point out that Arsenal could have made it 3-0 a couple of minutes later equally it did rouse the crowd it did get them going and Sometimes it does just need something like that. And and when you kind of watch it back, you you suspect that maybe Alexander-Arnold was quite keen for that to happen, to get everyone on their feet and roused and angry with Arsenal. But Arsenal, for that first half hour, were absolutely brilliant. Um, Saka and Martinelli were the two best players on the pitch. Um, Martinelli's biggest fan for several years has been Jurgen Klopp, but that doesn't mean he knows how to stop him. Um, But then Liverpool are in this strange state now where you look at the league table and they're kind of surrounded by Brighton and Brentford and they've got as many points away from home as Southampton. But every now and again, they can trigger that memory of how they were a great team and then they can become... a a great team or at least a very good team for passages of games, sometimes even an entire game. And it's often the sort of challenge to, to, to rouse them. And it's it's kind of no coincidence that they've got this outstanding home record against the top teams, you know, including, of course, the 7-0 against Manchester United. But the 1-0 over Manchester City was a fantastic atmosphere and a fantastic performance. And, and for an hour yesterday, they out of nothing really they did batter arsenal which made it all the order that they keep losing to relegation threatened
1: teams andrew are you pinning it on granite shaka
3: i i really think that's overplayed to be honest i think arsenal didn't defend that passage of play well enough it's you know maybe not ideal but it's the sort of thing that happens in football all the time two players come together i don't think two yellow cards woke anfield up i think it was the goal the ball hitting the back of the net that woke Anfield up. Um, well they
1: were roar, they were roaring their head off as soon as as soon as it happened, especially when he turned back after the, the initial altercation. Yeah. does to go back at him then Jacket turns around. That really the crowd did the crowd did lift in that
3: moment. Maybe so. Maybe, maybe so. You know I, I think it's just overblown really. If Arsenal defend the way they should have defended um in the build up to Salah's goal, then it goes, you know, it's 2-0 at halftime and nobody's talking talking about Granit Xhaka today and I don't think what Xhaka did had any real bearing on on the goal itself so look we know he's got some history he's got a bit of a track record of stuff like this but uh you know I think that part he's got of it a track is, record is... this
4: season of being very good to be well clear. that's it but, but when you talk about the defending that in the in the that goal I mean where, where would you be um you know what what do you think needed to uh, be done better
3: Well, I think Ben White got pulled out of position, so they had space uh, to drive into down Liverpool's left Our right-hand side. Maybe the communication between Martin Odegaard and Thomas Partey wasn't quite what it should have been. Uh, I think Odegaard was tracking Xhada. Who overlapped and Partey wasn't quick enough to react. And then I, I also think there's just a bit of good fortune to that goal as well because I think Henderson's trying a shot, he miscues, and it just falls perfectly for for Salah and it deflected in off off Gabriel. So there is a, an element of good fortune to that. But I think Arsenal will look at that goal and think they could have they could have dealt with that passage of play. Bridget, I have to
4: say, um, all, all of the Anfield talk, uh, I felt deflected away from maybe something more relevant which i thought Mikel Arteta in this game went negative too early i thought i mean being tuned up with with still an, with an hour to play naturally you're going to think oh you know be nice if this game could finish 2-0 but i felt sometimes arsenal you know even before the substitution uh, that he made which maybe we can we can also talk about but I felt that Arsenal's attitude from the point they went 2 nil up was kind of like yeah you know let's blow this one up there was a lot of going down feigning injury there was a lot of time wasting which is something Arsenal themselves have uh, have obviously complained about I mean the Saka booking was, was hilarious I mean the, the way that he was walking over to take that that corner although that was, that was pretty late in the game did Mikel Arteta uh, did, his, did his belief in the victory falter here?
2: Possibly. Um, And that could come into the whole Anfield thing that seems to affect Arsenal. I mean, certainly when we were watching the game then in the second half, we did note at the time that it was, I think, 45, 46 minutes between Alisson having anything to do from picking the ball out the back of his net for us. For the second goal until Arsenal next had any kind of attempt because at,
4: it did look yeah. it did look, it looked at the second goal so this this could be a four nil here you know this could be a real a real humbling for Liverpool here the way that, the way this game is going and that's you know it it just Arsenal didn't follow up
2: yeah and it the start Arsenal made reminded me of the way that Klopp's Liverpool used to start games when they were in their 100-mile-an-hour phase. And sometimes then they would go 2-0 up and end up desperately trying to hang on. But sometimes then they go 2-0 up and try and make it 3-0 and 4-0. And, and Arsenal, when you looked at how dominant Martinelli was and how well they were playing, they might reflect on that as a missed opportunity. But certainly to come back to the substitution that you mentioned earlier, I can understand Arteta's thinking to some extent, and Andrew will probably have more information on this than me, but I think earlier on in the season, Rob Holding made quite a lot of appearances as a very late substitute as a third centre-back. This time, obviously, he was starting. This time he brought Kiwiar on as the third substitute, and he probably did it a bit earlier. But it just completely backfired because you look at the number of chances that Liverpool had when Arsenal were playing five at the back. And even though Liverpool have been putting pressure on for the second half, when Arsenal had an extra defender and one fewer player in the midfield, it was even more chances. It, it was just non-stop. And maybe that's a, maybe the substitution was a reaction to seeing Klopp flood the game with forwards as people like Darwin Nunes and Roberto Firmino came on. Uh, but again, it does speak to, to, to a negativity rather than a confidence in his initial game plan and his initial system.
4: Is this a is this habit of Mikel Arteta's that you've noticed, I mean, the results this season have have almost uniformly been good for Arsenal. But I must say, when I saw Kivio or, or, uh, you know, coming on for Odegaard, I thought, well, well, my first thought was was literally who? Like, what what is what is happening here? And then it was like, right, okay, they're going, they're obviously sort of going five at the back, and you know, they're going to try and cling on here. I mean, what, what were your thoughts at the time, and how do you think the decision looks in 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 hindsight?
3: Mikel Arteta hasn't made too many mistakes this season, but I think he will look at that one and think he probably got it wrong. If he if he could do it again, I don't think he'd do exactly that because if you look at the way the second half went, between the 57th and 81st minute, Liverpool did not have a single attempt on goal. They were dominant, I think, but they did not have an attempt on goal. He took Odegaard off, put Kivior on. Kivior's first action was to come out of his zone completely miss the ball and Darwin Nuñez had a great chance which Aaron Ramsdale made a brilliant save from and after that you know all the momentum was was with Liverpool I think in general this season Arteta's substitutions have been much more positive this one You know, I think if William Saliba and Gabriel had started the game and you bring on a player with the experience of Rob Holding, you could understand it a little bit more. Kivior, this was only his second appearance, and I'm not sure that Anfield turned up to 11 is the right game to give him um, more Premier League minutes in the context. I can kind of understand what Arteta was trying to do, but it really didn't work. Um, Maybe... You know, Odegaard wasn't having his best game, but I think just trying to uh, have players on the on the pitch who could, you know, calm things down, put their foot in the ball, slow it down a little bit, would have been uh, a little bit better. He he took a gamble, went to defend to defend the lead, and ultimately it didn't pay off. And you know, this is where I think this is more of a turning point in the game than the Granite Shacker thing, for example.
4: Uh, Rich, I know that you were actually there, so you wouldn't have had the pleasure of listening to the sky broadcast oh no
3: i
2: I Um, I I watched the uh, analysis back at the end when i got home when i was writing something so i
4: I did see roy Keane on andy robertson oh yeah um we'll get we'll get to that (laughs) (laughs) that that, we've got a little section for that part but I, i was struck by the um by the analysis of of Trent alexander arnold i mean did you uh, at the game, you know, in real time, realised that he was the the real villain of the game, that everything that happened to get ga- in the game was kind of his fault. Uh, you know, everything bad that happened to his team was his fault. Um, were, were you Were you sitting there thinking, "This guy this this guy is a card. He's got to go."
2: No, I mean, I think much as he's in this position now, where he appears this incredibly emblematic figure. And he was in yesterday's game in that Martinelli, who is sort of his direct opponent, scores one goal and makes one goal. And yet the game ends with Alexander-Arnold crossing for Roberto Firmino to head in. And that's very much the two sides of Trent, you know, the the defensive problems and the attacking brilliance. I think it's it's certainly interesting the way that Klopp he always seems to send him out again in these games against people he's had problems with in the past. And whenever they play Real Madrid, um, Trent against Vinicius Jr. is one that
4: can become a bit one-sided and not... Well, Tre- Trent arguably resuscitated Vinicius Jr.'s career at Real Madrid. You know, I mean, literally, you know, his... Um... I mean, it was it 3-1 the Real Madrid the lockdown you know, the game a
2: couple of years ago yeah
4: and that was that, that really was the that sparked Vinicius at I Madrid mean, people were thinking we should get rid of this guy he's, he hasn't done anything then he he, he destroyed Liverpool and, and Trent in that game uh, and has done has, has thrived against them ever since they've been a real it's like Dr. Liverpool for, for him I mean obviously he's gone from uh, strength to strength since then. But, yeah, I mean, that, that certainly was was the first massive crisis that I can remember since since Trent Alexander-Arnold became a, a really a big player. That was the moment when everyone said, oh, hang on, this guy, this guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was interesting yesterday was that Klopp seemed to be suddenly trying to copy Guardiola's tactic with John Stones and Rico Lewis of moving them into the midfield, uh, which... Trent was sometimes playing in that kind of in that kind of deeper role, which may have been an attempt to partly to use his playmaking gifts in the centre of the pitch, but partly also to ensure that Ibrahima Canate was dealing with Martinelli at times. But even then I don't think that works because if you look at the second goal, what it means is that Kanate, a sort of six foot four-inch centre back, has come across to the right wing. To, mark Mart- to, to close down Martinelli and so that when the cross comes into the box yes maybe Virgil van Dijk's moved across a bit too far but then Gabriel Jesus' header is against Andy Robertson a kind of five foot eight inch left back um, but Liverpool and Alexander-Arnold at the moment they appear to be in this position where they can't live with, e- with each other and can't live without each other and you sometimes see some of the arguments of well, move him into midfield and you think, well, that takes away someone who has been one of the best right backs in the world in the last few years. And with no guarantee he'll be any better there and creating a situation where they have to sign a high class right back. And yet it does feel too often this season that a, his defending hasn't improved and B, he's not really getting the protection he ought to. And it, it's just a series of ordeals for him at the moment. I mean, the Manchester City game when Jack Grealish had perhaps his best game for City, but it was up against best Trent. Best game so far. Well, well yes, but it, it, it was against Trent. And so you say, ha, ha, has Vinicius' best game for Real Madrid come against Trent? Has Martinelli's best game for Arsenal come against Trent?
1: Well, what about that incident, Richard, that you alluded to there between Andy Robertson and the assistant referee, Constantine Hatsidakis, yeah, yeah. We, we know what Roy Keane thinks of it, thinks Robertson's being a big baby, but uh, rather an unusual sight to see a player apparently elbowed by a match official.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we do have to watch out for a new era of vigilante assistant referees, you know. just just um, have to be careful in case Darren Cannes suddenly starts gunning everyone down. Um, now, I, I thought it was utterly bizarre when I first heard about it, and it, it does feel as though it's the week where football got... Even less um, credible than usual, uh, with sort of Frank Lampard's comeback at Chelsea and Leicester trying to hire Jesse Marsh and assistant referees attacking Andy Robertson. Um it wasn't the most brutal assault of all time.
4: Um, well now, now there was Mitrovic <laughs> uh, no there was Mitrovic's assault, which he's been buying for eight games, you know, I've seen. I've seen more fearsome assaults than that, no?
2: Well, yes. I mean, you would have to assume, though, given that violent conduct does include lots of things that aren't hugely violent, and Everton fans might think of Abdullah DeCore and Harry Kane at this point, um, but it did look a three-match ban in the modern game,
3: certainly.
4: What do you make of it, Andrew? I mean, you know, the Arsenal, is it fair to say, Got Lee Mason sacked earlier this no, season? No, I don't
3: think that's fair at all. You don't think that's fair? No, I think Lee Mason made a terrible mistake, uh, which, you know, cost Arsenal two points, which potentially could be the difference between the title and not the title. Um, Arsenal didn't make that decision for anybody. Um, I suppose the thing you would say is, since Howard Webb has come back in, it it appears to have got worse. The incidents with referees and, and VAR, they just appear to be getting worse and worse every week. Um... I think Robertson was, you know, uh, that that linesman is fairly well built.
4: I know. Yeah. I thought I thought the same. thing. Yeah. It's like this guy he definitely lifts. Look at him.
3: Yeah. yeah, for sure. So you know, I don't think Robertson was expecting it, but I think he he sort of surprised him, didn't he? With with um, came from behind and maybe just startled him. So eyes of a bit jumpy. Yeah, exactly. I'm very you know very jumpy person. If you come at me from behind, yeah, n- reflexes will kick in. And- be a Nightmare in a crowded bar. This is it, Ken.
4: Well, the, the,
1: the question is also whether or not Robertson should, should have been putting his hand on him in the first place. Yeah.
4: Putting his hand? So, Robertson put his hand... Did Robertson even do that? I mean, they're sure... It looks like it. I've watched a video back the
1: It looks as though he puts his right, ha- right hand on uh, his right arm. Like, you know, he, he's saying, oh, yeah, come, come here, ref, or assistant referee. And he, like, I'm not... Again, I'm gently enough, but there is... There is a question that maybe, no matter how tactile it might be or how uh, how tempting it might be just to get uh, an official's attention by physically touching them, may- maybe they should just be a touch-free zone at this point.
4: Well, I mean, uh, maybe. But, I, I mean, I, I didn't... I, I'm not sure I, I really see any evidence that, that Robertson touched him at all. Did he not just sort of turn back towards him and the guy... I mean, I, I thought it was it was crazy. I mean, it just seems to me, in the context of what, what happened... Um, Recently, with Mitrovic, and you know this this guy being absolutely hammered for this angry outburst that he had. Okay, which I mean, I, me- I remember being being soft on him at the time, and being a bit surprised by the by the punishment. And then the FA saying, "Well, we we sh- he should be punished more. This is a disgrace to have." Um, but Ken, Ken,
1: Ken there's, a diff- there's a There's an obvious difference there. Referees around England and Ireland are getting abused routinely. By players, in in some cases getting physically assaulted, in a lot of cases getting verbally abused. There's a problem there with attitudes to referees, and when someone like Mitrovic does what he what he does, there has to be a serious deterrent to that. Because if that's allowed or in any way condoned in professional football, there is a knock on effect. I think elsewhere, I don't think there is a plague of, as far as I know, I could be corrected, of assistant referees going around. Leaving the elbow in on players that that needs to be stamped out. Re- referees are the ones generally in these situations who are having a real tough time of it at the moment. So I think that I think that's an obvious difference between the two cases here. No,
4: well, we're, I mean, we we've started arguing amongst ourselves here, and uh, Rich and Andrew are simply. Uh, sitting there patiently listening to us. But I have to say, I mean, uh, the obvious reason why there isn't a plague of referees going around intimidating players is that they're, they're, they're vastly outnumbered in every game. It would be a losing policy. I mean, this it has to be a non-violence policy um, in order for this game to be feasible at all, which is one reason why I think violence from the, the refereeing side, and we, we use the word violence in its loosest as possible, uh, you know, sense here, but also needs to be clamped down on just as much as as from the player's side. And I, w- I wonder what each of you, uh, Rich, and, and as you think about that.
2: Well, I mean, I do think it's just a complete one-off. And that's, I mean, as, as Owen said, uh, referees are facing all sorts of attacks, often verbal, sometimes physical. I think one of the reasons why that incident yesterday was so bizarre was that most of us can't recall anything remotely similar from all of the thousands of games that um that we've watched i mean maybe such thing will crop up from um, you know one of uh, a south american game on youtube sooner or later but um but we're not used to seeing it so in that respect i don't think it's going to be the start of an epidemic like that equally you do think there kind of has to be some sort of sanction and it does raise a question as to what happens in a game after that, I mean, I'm not aware of that official having any particularly contentious decisions in the second half, but to, it does seem to open a can of worms if the if the penalty decision, for instance, after that, is given by the linesman who was already elbowed
1: Andy Robertson. Andrew, any further thoughts on that?
3: I, I just thought it was kind of funny that Robertson got booked um, for getting you know hit by the by the assistant. I mean, I think the if you look at it again he does sort of put his hand on him the referee sort of does that to shrug him off like Rich said I don't think we'll see anything like this again Um, it will be very interesting to see what kind of um, sanction this guy this guy faces uh, a couple of weeks off to work on his guns in the gym I guess but um, I don't know just part of the uh, the sort of entertainment value of yesterday which I think was was pretty high all the way through
1: Andrew Richard cracking stuff thanks a million
0: It's very difficult to see Arsenal play one day without Arsenal on the bench.
2: He's gonna ruin the club fam! He's gonna ruin the club blood, I'm telling you fam!
3: Up and down the land, you do sense a genuine appreciation for the way this Arsenal team play. They were perfect. It's turning!
2: It's turning blood! Did you hear the booze that full time? Seriously, shut the fuck up tonight. I'm not in no mood
1: for no little dickheads, chatty shit
0: love to have him there all the time, but we all know that's not going to happen. One day, he's going to have to go.
3: Spineless! Where were they in the second half? Spineless! No fucking character! No fucking leadership! Where does that boil down to? It boils down to the fucking manager. He's finished.
0: It will be hard. He's not thinking of leaving one day.
3: He was a great manager. He's gone. He's gone.
0: I don't. it will happen eventually, we all know it. But I, I don't see it.
2: Arsenal football club though.
0: For me, the day I will see Arsenal play without Arsenal on the bench. It's, it's gonna be weird.
3: Don't Let try and buy this don't fucking try, club! Don't try to, to don't, don't try to question my fanbase. No. No. Don't try to question my fan base, no. okay? Listen. Listen, listen. I
2: can't. I can't get ang.
3: I can't get angry like I did be- before, be- beca- because it's, it's just. Arsene Wenger's team, every bit as good as the manager's words. He had no doubts. They are the champions. They have taken the title away from Manchester United, and they have done
2: it here at Old Trafford.
1: Than that. All right, Champions League during the week. You have mentioned Real Madrid against Chelsea. Can that one's on Wednesday, Wednesday night? Along with AC Milan, Napoli Tuesday, Benfica against Inter Milan, and Man City against Bayern.
3: Hmm.
4: Yeah, it's a decent week. Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, that's that's City, Bayern. I mean, City. We haven't have we mentioned City? My God!
1: Well, just the Kyle Walker, uh, just the Kyle Walker bit at the start. Well,
4: yeah, but I mean, but but like the way that City are going at the moment is they've really got got rolling. You know, Grealish is is absolutely rolling now, playing brilliantly. Looks so confident. Has figured out how to be relevant in the team. It's eight wins in a row, four one, four one, six nil, seven nil. These are the, these are the results that they're, they're getting in the last few games, and they seem to have found this um, this gear that they hadn't been able to kind of slip into in the, in the the entire rest of the season. I mean, this is their longest winning streak by two matches and it obviously has come, uh, more or less coincided with Guardiola's adoption of this new system. And I have to say that Guardiola has, has done a really good job here of managing this situation. I mean, you know, we were talking a couple of months ago about whether City were going to have some of the same issues that you've seen at Liverpool in terms of exhaustion. I mean, they're the only other team really that's played as many games and has kind of been through as many, um, you know, demanding situations over the last few seasons. And a lot of it with with some of the same players, whether they were going to experience this sort of collapse um, that we've seen with Liverpool but no what Guardiola has managed to do is kind of provoke the team I mean maybe that's part of what what he the the, the stuff that he's saying about Walker I mean he knows that's insulting you know he knows he knows that that's yeah
1: oh absolutely that's tough
4: but you know it's like okay okay well show me why you should be in the team I mean he's already bombed out uh, Cancelo who by the way it doesn't seem as though things are going all that well um for him at um at Bayern since that has happened um but he's got rid of Cancelo who you know was was thought to be one of the main players in the team he's changed the shape of the team now it's one thing like so, so for instance there's there's a big difference from from Jürgen Klopp who who seldom does this you know he, he he tends to pick the same sort of 4-3-3 and Guardiola the team always has the same ethos like they're always kind of playing the same kind of football but he is prepared to change the shape uh, quite a lot radically and use players in unfamiliar sorts of positions and he keeps getting it right you know, I mean, he—it's it, so easy to to well, try to yeah. try something. I mean, he
1: did. He did also ship off. He did also ship off Zinchenko and Jesus to their title rivals Arsenal.
4: Yeah, like no, that, I mean, I don't think I that was be. his best. Uh, that was his best decision uh, either. Although, it's you know, his alternative maybe was to sort of keep them on the squad against their will. <clears throat> I mean, he he did hand Arsenal a couple of extremely useful players there. That is that is true but i suppose maybe that, maybe that's just his way of making it interesting because if he hadn't done that i mean city would almost would almost have won the league already and it would be well that's i guess we're gonna have to try and win the champions league now of course the, the test for guardiola has always been you know these these sort of clever plans the the type of which have have, have worked really well over the last few weeks uh, in the premier league especially have often come unstuck in the champions league uh, and this is why this has been his his one significant failing as a coach. It's like, well, you haven't managed to win the Champions League. Um, it's one thing to, for for a club with the sort of huge financial power of City to to win a, a league title, you know, over thirty eight matches, where like the power eventually tells. It's another thing in games where a team that doesn't have as much money can have a good night against you and knock you out. You know what I mean? And this has been yeah. why the Premier League has been more has been more difficult. But at the moment. You have to. You look at the the management. I mean, he's been there for so long. Uh, things really could be going stale. I mean, you hear a lot, you know, from Inside City that oh, the players. Some some of the players who left, like Sterling, for instance, were kind of like, "There's only a certain amount of Pep Guardiola that anyone can really take in one's life, you know, before it starts to really grind your gears." And I think there there's always going to be an element of that with Pep because he's so demanding and occasionally, um, not not very tactful <laughs> like often not very tactful but he has managed to come up with ways to kind of keep the players stimulated maybe sometimes provoking them but also systems in the game that that are that are working that are winning matches it's slightly differently from what they've been done before And you have to at some point say this guy is really operating at the uh you know he is he's regarded as the best manager in the world for uh for a reason thanks ken thanks owen
1: Thanks for listening. Sign up now for all the Champions League coverage. Irish women's team against USA, our masters chat tomorrow, GA championship. You'll also hear every episode ad-free if you become a member of the World Service. The Second Campus podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. How is that? That's the second time it's gone they Never
3: go home, they never go home, they never go home those those boys the second captain's world service it is not war and death and famine it's not that at all it's the opposite of that it's to the persuade there's a world outside of that that's why sport's important